Welcome back to the Eat Scripture Podcast. This is Gina. And this is Eric. We're the Robinsons and we are, are this podcast is really doing some textual Bible studies. Mm-hmm. And um, so we have been going through the books of First and Second Kings. Yes. We're now in Second Kings 4 mm-hmm. and talking about Elisha and some of his adventures. Oh, yeah. And uh, what God is doing through him. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that in just a second as we get back to that. Uh, we missed last week's podcast because we have changed out some of our equipment and we are not that great at technology. Correct. Not that great is one way to put it. <laughs> and we, we just had some issues getting back on last week. And so um, I apologize that we missed a week, but we hope to be good from here. Yes. And go forward. We're excited about this part that we're in mm-hmm. and we don't want to lose momentum. And I feel really sad if we lost anybody yeah. last week um, because of our own blub ups. But anyway, <laughs> it's no big uh, deal, I think. But um, I think people will be hopefully just as excited as we are to keep going in this um, because there is so much excitement right now as we're watching what's ha- what's transpired in the book of Kings and it is, like we've said several times already, one big book, the book of Kings. So if you're you know, not totally familiar with your Bible, or maybe even you are, but a lot of people still don't realize who've read the Bible for a long time that the books of First and Second Kings were actually just one book to begin with, one book of Kings. And so that's what we're seeing as we look at it. We're trying to look at it from that one book perspective. And so what we're really seeing in the Elijah and Elisha saga is the center of the book. And so the center of the book is so important to the original writer. So as we're reading Elijah and Elisha, we're really getting some insight about what that original author compiler felt was the most important thing to emphasize. Um, And so as we're watching this transpire now on the Elisha side of it, we're getting, we're kind of on the, if you want to say it, kind of on the back half of the middle uh, and so Eli- if Elijah was the first part of that, then Elisha is the second. And we've spoken a little bit typologically about how Elisha probably represents a spirit-empowered church in the future. Right. If, if uh, like Jesus said, all these scriptures so are really about him. say that and we start looking at it. Yep. But I had not really understood that before. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go back a podcast or two and listen to yeah. what we've talked about, to be honest, I can't even remember what all we've talked about, but <laughs> I think we have yeah. done that already. So I don't want to go over it again, right. over and over. We will mention it. But yep. um, these stories about Elisha here, yes, although in some ways so similar to the stories of Elijah mm-hmm. in mirroring right. them mm-hmm. are also so different. Right. And so different. They've got a lot of similarities. Yeah. And yet, yeah, like you're saying, got some really strong places where they differ also, or just diverge, maybe better way to say it. Cause it's not like they're oppositional to each other, but very much uh, got a different feel, different right. way of. You can just uh, see uh, that you know, Elisha's um, mission and goals are different mm-hmm. in a way yeah. than Elijah's were. Yes. Elijah was very confrontational with the Kings, with yes. Ahab, um, yes. mind being right up in his face. Yep. While Elisha is not really 
that's not really the way he does things. Right. He doesn't just go get right up in his face. Exactly right. what you're saying. Like it's um, more behind e the scenes, even in working. like, yeah, exactly. So even in chapter three, where we saw Elisha come into contact with Jehoram, the king of Israel, mm -hmm. who is the son of Ahab, Jehoram sought him out. Elisha yeah. didn't just go to him and get in his face. And we see Elijah do that a couple of times with Ahab, just go to him and get in his face. And Elisha seems to be more like, I have things to do. And he's really just empowering his sons of the prophets so right. often to do things for him and, and for the completion of God's goals or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so often that's the way it is with Elisha. Whereas we did not see Elijah working with a group of sons of the prophets that way. He just didn't do that. That he wasn't seemed, his way. He seemed a lot of times to be more alone. Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. He was more on a solo mission. It seemed like, whereas here we have a corporate, almost mm -hmm. a corporate mission taking place with Elisha as the motivating figure at the center, but still very much a corporate thing. He's informing. He is speaking of God and bringing God into the circumstance through him, but always through a greater group that is surrounding him as the word continues to go out. So as we get to this story that we're going to continue today, uh, in chapter four, second Kings chapter four, mm -hmm. and we talked about this story with the Shunammite woman. Yes. We've already gone through the first part of it. She right. was a barren woman. Yeah. Or, for some reason, couldn't have children. Mm -hmm. A wealthy woman seemed to be a Gentile. Yes. As you said, because of her response. Just of the response that she made uh, in, in verse 13 to Elisha when he said, should I speak to the king on your behalf? And she was like, I live among my own people. Right. So as if to say, well, that king doesn't really have sway over me. So it doesn't really, mm -hmm. that's not a thing that I could use anyway. Right. Um, but then he finds out she's been childless. And so in whatever way God decides to use Elisha to bring a child into her life, that's exactly what happens. And as you read that last part of uh, the last section that we were in, so especially verses, I would say, especially verses 14 and following of chapter 4, 14 through 17, if you read those closely, you are going to see a very strong connection with what's happening in Genesis chapter 18, whenever Sarah gets told that she's going to have a child. Right. It's, it's she, a, uh, just clear. The, the words, the yeah. phrases, the, the location in yes. a doorway. Yeah. What? I mean, uh, if you know that phrase from Genesis 18, you're like, wait, even that they're even taking that. Yeah. They got it all here. Right. She's being told she'll have a child at this time next year. Um, I mean, it's all, it all goes together. So and what she, is that saying to us? I mean, I think we make, uh, we think those connections are also important mm -hmm. and it's so often that we read our scripture and we don't, we read right over it. Yeah. Because sometimes it's so long since we read Genesis one or, you know, yeah. Genesis 12 or whatever. Gen yep. Until and then later we read on, read something else. Second Kings. Yeah. And we're in a totally different context and we're not, we're just mm -hmm. not putting them together. Yep. So when we do and we see something like this and it's so clear. Yes. Um, I'm wondering what that tells us about what we're studying. Uh, for me, I think these whole, these two stories that we've just read, 
mm-hmm. uh, since the beginning of chapter four, I think we can see, and I'm, I should back up even more probably, but Israel as a nation mm-hmm. is dead. They're decaying. They're rotting from the inside. From the inside, for sure, yes. Exactly, because Ahab's line is still on the throne, and we know that it's already a condemned line. We have a lame duck, a lame duck king, as it were. We know this line is condemned. It's going down. It's over. Yep. So it's like dying on the vine, as it were. And, uh, And yet Elisha and his ministry are flourishing, even in the midst of that dying Right. Uh, so rain. I think I, line. I'm not, I'm probably stealing this from uh, something I read, but it's like a, a dying carcass. Mm. Israel. Yeah. yeah. At this time. And God is still going to bring life. Right. Into that through Elisha. Mm-hmm. And he is, um, he's empowering a remnant mm-hmm. yeah. here. Um, so, yeah. I guess this story to me, here's this woman who couldn't have a child, mm-hmm. just like Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. And it represents the death of something that, you know, that actually began in Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. But this story seems to be screaming at us, hey, remember, it's not over. I promised this would go on. Right. It does seem to do and that. So that's what. Elisha is here to bring about. Yeah, almost proof that the promise, which was made so long ago mm-hmm. to the great forefather, is not over. Remember he, no matter promise. what you're seeing around you in Israel, and even the dying king, uh, dying king's line, um, and so forth, condemned as it were, that's not the end. This right. Abrahamic promise continues, even if in this case it seems to continue through a Gentile woman. Right. Um, as odd as that is, but if, of course, this if, is if just God typology is anything, he pointing is the God forward. of surprises. That's right. He is absolutely. So we are surprised. And yet think about it for a few minutes. We're like, Oh, well, God's just, this mm-hmm. is just God's work. It's God's way. Right. So okay. now that we're seeing that We've we're watching her and we too. know that she's, <laughs> I don't think it's too much set up. We know that she's ready to have, or has had a child now, um, yes. is what, uh, what so we're, we're going to pick it up here see. with this child that's been promised and been born and, and seems now to represent now all the hopes for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Abraham's promise. Yes. Here. Abraham's promise renewed, right? Sounds good. This is going to be great. Second Kings chapter four, verse 18. We'll start reading there and we'll go through verse 31 to begin, I think. Okay. When the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers, and he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. The father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys, that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, All is well. Then she saddled the donkey, and she said to her servant, Urge the animal on. Do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. So she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. 
When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Look, there's the Shunammite. Run to her at once and meet her and say to her, Is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. And when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi said to push her away, or he came to push her away. But the man of God said, Leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Then she said, Did I ask my Lord for a son? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? He said to Gehazi, Tie up your garment and take my staff in your hand and go. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. And if anyone greets you, do not reply and lay my staff on the face of the child. Then the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as you yourself live, live, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound of li- sound or sign of life. Therefore he returned to meet him and told him, The child has not awakened. Okay. Uh, child is dead. Um, that's where we, we start, actually, in verse 18. So we just talked about how this is the hope. That, mm-hmm. I mean, this is the promise of God. And yes. How... Yeah awful Mm -hmm. that this new life that we've been hoping for yeah that came in like you had brought up a very abrahamic promise kind of way it's as if the abrahamic promise is being extended and it's through the shunammite woman even at a time when israel itself uh is under fallen under god's harsh judgment and so when we get to this point, we're surprised because we are very much expecting something greater to continue to come through this. But what we see instead is that the son who was promised in that Abrahamic way immediately dies. Mm-hmm. Now, if we think about it for a few minutes, all of a sudden, maybe we're not as surprised because we know That is how things went with Isaac. He didn't die, but boy, did it ever come close. It looked like there was going to be an end to the promise because the son through whom the promise came was about to be killed. And yet he wasn't. And so here, verse 18, the child grows, goes out to his dad one day among the reapers. So this is happening at harvest time. Oh, it's harvest time that he's dying. So many things uh, that are interesting happen around harvest time in scripture. So for the harvest to be the time of his death is interesting. Mm. And he says to his father, oh, my head, my head. Now, I don't know exactly where our connection is in the head, but the fact is he's something's hurting in his head and he doesn't know what it is and he's crying out to his dad the father says carry him to his mother he says take him up carry him to his mom and when he had lifted him and brought him to his mother child sat on her lap till noon and died verse 20 okay so now the son is dead sat with his mother until he died um and that's where this must be like the end to the goodness of the promise that was going to come to this woman and it her husband like and being, yep. I mean, there's just nothing. It doesn't feel good at all. Now, immediately she 
takes him and lays him on the same bed that the man of God comes by her house and lays on all the time. Mm-hmm. So we're told very specifically where she takes him and she lays him. It's on that bed. And then she shuts the door, leaves, goes and calls to her husband to get her one of the servants to come with her because she's going to go see the man of God. He, of course, is struck by this because he says in verse 23, why in the world are you going today? It's not a new moon or a Sabbath. It's not a worship day. Why would you go see a man of God today? It's not a worship day. He doesn't know that the child is dead yet. And, and she, she just, just says all is well. Hey, it's I all mean, okay. Just I let me do really this. I don't understand. Is it her belief that he will be okay? I think, I think, yeah, more than anything, kind of a, kind of a faith against fact kind of thing in her head. She's determined somehow that maybe good will come from this. Um, and yet, so when she says all is well, whether it's to keep her husband calm or to reassure herself or some of both that there's, that maybe it's still not over yet. Maybe there's something to be gained by going to the man of God. Can he help in some way? Maybe if he could do a miracle, if his God can do a miracle like make her pregnant, then maybe his God can do a miracle like the craziness that would come it feels from like she resurrection. Only trust this information with Elisha. Definitely, it she's, seems like that. She, she refuses to, to tell her husband while she why she's going. Or Gehazi. And then Gehazi's going to come to her and um, ask her questions. And she's going to be like, nope, all is well. Um, she's going to say the same thing that she said to her husband, all is well, all is well. Um, and then turn around, like you said, with Elisha, though. Then she's going to finally mm-hmm. spill it all. And even sounds very emotional, borderline upset about it yeah. with him. Why did you even let me have a son if you were going to, if he was going to, I told you not away. to, you know, play with my emotions. Yes. Yes. And so Elisha's response is then to tell Gehazi. So like we said, he sent Gehazi ahead of him first to talk to the woman. She wouldn't say to him what it was. She finally gets there. She grabs onto his feet, starts talking to him. Gehazi tries to push her away, but is refrained from that um, by Elisha uh, and says something's really wrong with her, but the Lord has hidden it from me is what Elisha says. She's going to have to tell me what it is. God hadn't let me know. And so she says her son is dead. And of course, Elisha, wants to do something about it. So he gives his staff to Gehazi, puts his staff in Gehazi's hand, says, go ahead of me. Uh, I mean, there's some urgency there. Tie up your garment. Yes. He's telling him to run. Yes, absolutely. Run and and don't talk to anybody as you go. Don't no stopping and talking. This is just you getting there and doing this. Yep, exactly. And we've heard and we hear later on Jesus be, make similar statements to his own uh, disciples whenever he's sending them on their commission, that they're not to talk to anyone on the way, that they just take a few things with them, that they go and they make proclamation about the kingdom of God coming. Also, we have when Gehazi gets there and lays the staff on the child, Mm -hmm. of course, it doesn't work like we were hoping and like he was instructed to do. He does what he was instructed to do, but it doesn't work. And the reader's left to wonder what's going on. Mm-hmm. What kind of indicator is this? Is it have to do with Gehazi? Does it have to do with the actual being dead? Uh, what What's going on? What are we supposed to take from this? 
Well, we're going to see later on again in the disciples that they try and do do things sometimes that don't work out. Right. I mean, I specifically, when I read this, I think about uh, Jesus being on the Mount of Transfiguration mm-hmm. and coming down, and there's the yep. boy who can't be healed of the demon. If That's right. Demons, yeah. Yeah, a, a demon. A, a demon, uh, and even though the disciples have at this point already been out right. casting out demons and healing people, and they seem pretty mystified by why they aren't able to do this. Yes, they do. Absolutely. And Jesus they almost do. Um, kind of, um, what am I trying to he say? He seems to chide them a bit yeah, chide them a little for bit, it. Like that they don't have enough faith. Yeah. Yeah. It does um, kind of seem that way. Seems we'd have like to look at that one a little closer because I think there's a lot going on there. Yeah, but, there, there is. Um, certainly. But I think Gehazi in this story is representing, mm-hmm. uh, of course, he's one of the sons of the prophets. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he's kind of um, Elisha's disciple. Yep, he is. And very much so. So I think. he is representing, I think, the disciples mm-hmm. kind of going out whole. and trying to, they're trying. Mm hmm. But they're kind of bumbling in their efforts a yeah. little bit and yeah. aren't quite able to get it without him there. Right. Absolutely. And this could even be kind of uh, setting us up for kind of a foreshadow of what we're going to see when we see Gehazi next in chapter 5. So we've yeah. got a couple of stories yeah. coming before that, but Gehazi's going to come up in chapter 5 and we will probably can't help but remember this moment when a lot of when guys he tried to do some something this, yes. yeah so he's trying to do something he was instructed to do and yet not able to do it and in this story that isn't elaborated upon again we're not going to have any elaboration upon why right he wasn't able yeah. to do it but we, we just are see that when see elisha Gehazi, gets there it everything right. changes so. everything's about to change so I, maybe we should go on to that yeah, the Unless yeah we should. Else. Now I think that's good. that would be good. Um, maybe we'll just say also interesting now that um, seems like Elisha is dwelling at Mount Carmel sometimes. Apparently, right. um, that's where she goes and finds him back in verse twenty five. So the very fact that she finds him there is kind of interesting. He's kind of spending a lot of his time at Carmel. Carmel literally means garden. It's a mountain mm-hmm. garden is what it is, which would be very much like an Eden type right. place, high place with a garden at it. That's, that's what Eden was. Um, and so here we have Elisha's ministry kind of basing out of places that have strong religious import, strong connection yes. to what it means to be spiritually connected to to Yahweh and what he's doing through his people. And again, that connection with Elijah, because Elijah. Because Elijah has been. He's the, the one, one that who, we know from Mount Carmel. Yep. And we know that amazing things that happened there. The place where he so wiped it's out. interesting that. The evil that was being brought into Israel. Elijah yep. has found his place there. Yes. I think very important too. Yeah, absolutely. Still very connected to Elijah. So. Um, let's continue on here. Now that we see this, we know Gehazi hasn't been able to do anything about it. That's where we left off right there. So we'll go on to verse 32 through the end of this story, which is just 37. So six verses here. When Elisha came into the house, 
he saw the child lying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself upon him. The flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up again and walked once back and forth in the house and went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. Then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her, and when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. She came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Wow. Okay, not totally unlike what happened with Elijah um, in chapter 8. 17 of 1st Kings. And so it actually sounds lots of similarities, lots of similarities, but also some significant differences. Mm -hmm. And so as we're reading over this, we are trying to piece together why the difference is what's actually happening here. What, uh, what is it that Elisha is doing that we should see as being very much in the likeness of his master? And then how might it also be enhanced because he has, we know, been given a double portion of Elijah's spirit, which is what he asked right. for at the right. beginning. Um, and we know he's got it. And so he's doing things similar to his master, but also with sort of an enhanced effect too, which we've already seen in the pouring of the oil in the house. We've already seen that for sure mm-hmm. uh, come about and in a couple of other ways too. So now we're watching, well, this does sound very similar to what happened to Elijah back in First Kings 17 when the son died and Elijah took him up into his upper room and stretched out on him. And that's exactly the kind and of thing that's happening here. And it's a very odd thing, so yeah. that they're two, the same. You're like, oh, that's weird. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> here it goes into particular emphasis in verse 34, putting his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hands, and he stretched out upon him his flesh, uh, um, and the flesh of the child becomes warm. That's what we're going to see. But first, he's just very much you know, equating himself with the child, which is what we said when we were in that first story in Elijah. It's almost like in a very interesting kind of sense, but it's a way of making himself one with the child, right? which is what Elijah did whenever he took the child's body up to his bed and stretched out over him. And you would, even though it didn't go into this kind of detail, still very much the same thing. So, now that we get here, we're we're curious about how this is working. But the fact is, in the first story, Elijah stretched out on him three times. Here we have Elisha only stretching out on him twice. He stretches out once, then he gets up, he walks around, then he comes back, mm-hmm. and he stretches himself out on him again. And so it's three uh, twice here where it was three times before is that an allusion to the fact that he's a little that he's got more spirit double portion of spirit uh kind of an allusion to what Jesus told the disciples in John chapter 15 that they would do even greater things than him mm-hmm. um they don't know it yet but they're going to be doing it through his spirit that's in them that's how they're going to be able to do it so it's still the same spirit at work it's just going to be at work in even greater ways whatever that means uh and so here is this spirit 
that's at work in Elisha, at work in even greater ways than it was in Elijah? Right. And if so, it seems like a typological connection to right. the disciples. Right. Um, it's also, I mean, this note in the in my notes in my Bible even say, um, like putting his mouth to his mouth, it's like God is restoring his breath, mm-hmm. his uh, sight, his eyes to his eyes, yes. and his strength with his hands to his hands. Yes, I hadn't okay. thought about those connections, but I like that. That's also um, very mm-hmm. helpful. But just the stretching himself upon him, uh, the spirit of God. He's mm-hmm. almost um, transferring. Great. That to him. So. Yeah. I see that too. I like the hands to hands, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's really giving him his words, his eyes, his actions. Right. And which goes, of course, perfectly with the typology that we're talking about if we think forward to the New Testament church, right. which was also a church that was flourishing under a condemned regime that God was already had under judgment for a full generation before he brought the hammer down in AD 70. We're in the same, it's the Uh, same thing. A similar dead carcass. Yes. Yes. They're in the same dead carcass and yet still life coming being brought Mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of that. And yes, I love that about this story of Elisha and how he's working through this Mm -hmm. time of it's sure doom coming. Yep. For these, the kingdom, the southern kingdom, mm-hmm. or the northern kingdom, I'm sorry, northern. the northern kingdom, but he is still there bringing life. And for this Shunammite woman, he has brought life twice. Mm-hmm. Um, he's brought her son to life twice. In a, um, yeah, in a sense, yeah. yeah. Right. Just and caused that, him to be, to be conceived. And redeemer, then... he's, he's come and he's made sure that she will have prodigy going forward mm-hmm. and there will be life. Mm-hmm. And then when we, it looks like that's been snuffed out too. Then he brings the boy to life again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So do I have a, do I, uh, even she has to be drawn into the fullness of the Abrahamic promise through a son that has died and come back to life. Right. Uh, just like we've seen before. So, think, so again, you know, it becomes like very typological. Even greater connected. works. Yep. Yeah, it's all there. We all have to be brought into the promise through the son that has died and come back to life. Yes. Whether we're from the first or the second round of yeah. people, first woman or second woman. Um, and so we have that two woman type going on here too, which we can't even get into. But the stuff yeah. that's happening here is really, really wonderfully seen, better, best seen through the typology taking place right. in the church. I, I don't know why he sneezed seven times. I... And sneezing is not a big... Actually, this is the only place the word is used in Scripture, this word that gets translated sneeze, which also gets translated side by at least one translation and gets translated, I think, breathed, just breathed. Mm. I don't know what, I can't remember, but something like that by another translation. So... Most people go with sneezed. Most translations go with sneezed because you don't really know what to do. Some sort of heavy breath sound of some kind seems to be what's being indicated here. Now, I think that if anything, maybe we're just talking about the fact that if the sneeze was a way of expelling from the body that which is not needed. That which is death. Then, then death, yeah. Then he's he's getting rid, getting completely rid of his, completely. that which has caused him yeah. to die. Um, is being completely right. removed from him. 
uh, these seven times by yeah. these seven. I sneezes. think the seven is really significant. Yes, it's there. the seven that we should really because pay a lot of attention to. It's yeah. the completeness of whatever has killed him is gone. Is gone. Yeah, that's what I would say. You're right, hundred percent right. Uh, so that's where we we're gonna leave her right here. Interestingly enough, but she is going to come up again. But we've got several chapters to go before we get to her again. But we're actually not done with the Shunammite woman. She will come back. But that she ends this part of the story ends here very significant with the rising of the sun. All seems well now with the Shunammite woman, and she is very much incorporated into the Abrahamic promise, even through the death and resurrection of her own son. So she's experiencing the blessings of Yahweh because of this in the greatest possible way. Well, when we see her again, we'll probably reference this story again. No question, (laughs) because it gets referenced. uh, We won't be able to help it. Later, when the story comes up, it helps you to understand the story that you read first. Absolutely. It gives you more information. In this case, it certainly will. So, yes, we will return. Um, Terrific to go through this. What a great story. Start with uh, verse 38 next Mm -hmm. time. Yes. These last two stories in this chapter. Yes. Which will continue to be church types. Yeah. Um, let's say, and and I got to tell you, you're going to read through. If you read through both of these, and especially the second one, verse forty-two <laughs> and following, and you can't hear New Testament stuff, New Testament bells ringing in your head, you're just not even trying. Well, you're not even. And I think there's that richness <laughs> so, of life from death too. Yep. Like yep. There is. Interesting story. Okay. okay. Um, we'll Look keep going. Hey, thank you guys for joining us. We love talking to you. So glad you were back. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next week. Have a great few days. God bless.